A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe. Concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 396. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television. And this time we are continuing our discussion about the War of the Worlds. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, we are continuing to look at the BBC's 2019 version of H.G. Wells's classic novel of the same name, They did it in three episodes of about 55 minutes each. Uh, Obviously, it's full colour and plenty of CGI and lots to talk about. Yes, and it introduced some contemporary themes into it as well and used a period setting. So it was largely set during the late 19th century or early 20th century in the timing of when the original novel was released. Yes, and they also, I'd say, they got a pretty good cast. I mean, there's not a large number of main speaking characters, but the actors playing them are very good. So it's impressive in that regard. Yes. So when we left the plot last time, it was really kicking off with the invasion of the Martians, the tripods uh, roaming the country, death rays, the red mist appearing... It perhaps took a little while to get to that in the first episode, but once they do get to that, things happen very quickly and things change for the Earth and for our particular, for our lead characters very quickly, Brian. Yes, and the Earth seems to be shrouded in a red mist and the red weed, which we remember from the book. And in this television version, we get to one of the biggest changes, certainly in narrative, is it flashes forward to a time after the invasion and we see Amy and a child trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic landscape that has been destroyed by this War of the Worlds. And we have sort of two time frames that we're switching between the invasion, this initial conflict with George and Amy and Frederick and their battle to escape from the Martians, and then what happens later. It's an interesting device, as you say, flashing forward to a terrible future and then switching back to the sort of struggles, as you say. Interesting stuff. And of course, you can't have the War of the Worlds without some representation of the infamous tripod machines of the Martians. Uh, So we get to see those. We get to see the sort of death ray, the heat ray. But we also get to see Martians themselves in some basically almost like one-on-one encounters with George, Amy and Frederick. And that's, that's quite impressive stuff. But also we get this idea of people fleeing from war and people becoming refugees from war, rushing to the boats, trying to get away from the war machines, and also just trying to survive after these terrible events have taken place, Brian. Yes, and that is something that I think they adapted from the novel very well, the idea of people on the run and 
the sort of immediate crisis and everyone trying to escape these machines. I think that was done quite well and quite faithfully. Interesting stuff. So let's let's think about some other versions of The War of the Worlds. Obviously, it's been adapted so many times. We don't have time to cover all of them. It's been done for the stage. It's been done for radio. It's been done in comics, television, and, of course, film several times. Some of them are quite well known. There's even like sequel novels and, you know, Big Finish have done some work with those as well, I think, Brian. Yes, uh, Big Finish did not do a sequel, but they did do their own adaptation of War of the Worlds as well. But the better known audio version is the notorious Orson Welles production from 1938 for the Mercury Theatre company and that was a radio play that was broadcast live as they were performing it and it seems that people really did take the news reporting on it as news and there really was some amount of panic that we're told happened that night in 1938 which is somewhat hard to believe looking at it now but it was very much a different era as far as people being familiar with radio and this sort of thing. It's an incredible story. Uh, As we said in our last episode, that audio is available and I'll link to it on our Facebook page and Twitter. But also, I'll perhaps remind us that Orson Welles met H.G. Wells and that their conversation was recorded on a radio station. And I will link to that audio as well when this episode comes out, because it's fascinating to hear those two great men talking to each other. Yes, absolutely. The 1953 George Powell production, which was a movie in Technicolor, and like the Orson Welles version, moved the story to the United States rather than Great Britain. But it was also a very well-known version and probably the for many years was the best-known film version. And then, of course, Steven Spielberg's done it, again, updating it to modern times and doing it in America. 2005 with Tom Cruise as sort of like the lead role and, and did some interesting things, particularly your probably remember scenes in a sort of ruined or abandoned house in the cellar of that where they are trying to hide from the Martians and I guess any movie that came out in the sort of 2000s that showed large-scale destruction or disaster in America you had to think that part of it was a sort of working out some of the grief and emotions from 9-11. I know it has been compared to you know the representations within the disaster movie of the Steven Spielberg version, but anyway, that's an interesting modern version that also had that famous opening and closing narration delivered by Morgan Freeman, which was nice. You know, another great voice. <laughs> that's what you need for the narration. We mentioned last time the popularity of Jeff Wayne's version, which you can pick up on you know CD or streaming quite easily, and it's certainly worth a listen. You know, famous bits of music, some famous artwork accompanying the LP as it was originally on the album cover. That's great. Listeners to my other podcast, Mega City Book Club, will be not at all surprised to hear me mention um, one particular comic book version, Ian Edgerton and Matt Disraeli Brooker's 
adaptation of The War of the Worlds, which they've done, but also their sequel series, which is called Scarlet Traces, which imagines that the British Empire uses the abandoned and leftover Martian technology after The War of the Worlds and uses it to keep its empire, to prop up its empire. And that's a very interesting series that's still continuing in 2000 AD, and I'm very fond of it. And when did that come out, the original run of it? That would be about 12 or 15 years ago now, I think. I will try and update that on the Twitter and Facebook when this episode comes out with the exact dates and links to it. And Big Finish did a very good audio adaptation. There was another audio adaptation that also came out around the same time. So there have been many different versions that have different takes on it. Several different flavors of the War of the Worlds. Oh, yes. So when we look at adaptations of classic novels like this, we have to think about how faithful do we want them to be. And there's always this idea of doing something new, of doing War of the Worlds, and this is our twist on it this time, as opposed to doing a more straightforward and faithful adaptation. And we see sort of varying things like that. In another H.G. Wells novel, we've covered two adaptations of The Invisible Man. One from the 1950s was barely an adaptation. It used the idea of the character and the look of the character and did something new with that. Where the other later version we looked at was actually quite a faithful version. Yeah, it's interesting when the B, you know, when anybody does these versions, adaptations of classics. One of the interesting things is to talk about uh, how closely they stick to the text or not. Yes, and part of that comes down to the time period. And in some of these BBC novel adaptations, like the 1980s Invisible Man we covered, they use the either stated time period from the novel or the time that the novel was published. And that's something that I like. This BBC production from 2019 that we've been talking about uses the original period setting of the novel that was sort of quite near future when the novel was published. That opening narration references the early 20th century, which was just a few years away at that point. And of course, it sets it in Woking, just like the book, but also just like H.G. Wells and his own personal life. And I was interested last episode, Brian, you talked about this theory that some people have that the unnamed narrator in the book could be H.G. Wells himself. And here, this production... Without saying so, it pretty much makes George and Amy our stand-ins for H.G. Wells and his partner at the time, it seems. You could read it that way anyway. Yes, you certainly could. And uh, this is not the first production to use part of H.G. Wells' name as the name of that character who is the narrator from the book or replaces the narrator from the book. So the idea of that connection definitely is something that comes up. And of course, it also includes that conversation which Wells himself told the story of, a conversation he had with his brother about the actions of the British Empire abroad and what would happen if the Martians did the same to the British 
George and Frederick have that conversation in one of the episodes here. And it sort of reminded me of the Mitchell and Webb sketch, which is quite well known as a meme where they debate whether or not we actually might be the baddies. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, Brian. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. So that's what it it gave me that feel of it. You know, George suggesting maybe this is what we've been doing to other countries. And now it's our, you know, it's our turn. Yeah. And that was a very interesting thing to include in this. The original novel was also the first thing to take this idea of invasion literature that was popular at the time, but to make the invaders come from another world. So this is something that we've sort of lost, this idea that apparently in the late 19th century, Great Britain was a bit obsessed with the idea of being invaded or even scared of being invaded by some other country. But the idea of an alien invasion from another planet, that was actually new. Yes, I'm interested interested in this idea of invasion literature in the uh, the 19th century it's quite fascinating and you know hg wells taking some of those fears of the times and using it in this science fiction novel and of course i'm going to get you know again slightly political brian by suggesting that in the 21st century british fears of military invasion have been replaced by let's say fears and concerns about immigration and refugees and we know that certain politicians and commentators like to use words like invasion or referring to immigrants and refugees as hordes or a swarm infamously just to describe people who for one reason or another are trying to move to another country uh, or are fleeing war in order to do so It's interesting, and the BBC in this production, I thought, fascinatingly, gave us this idea that we become, the British become the refugees, they become the people trying to flee a war, and it sort of put us in this situation of an island nation having to consider what would happen to ourselves. So I think that's quite fascinating, Brian. Yes, it absolutely is. And they use this sort of future time frame or later time frame component of it to look at, you know, what happens to us if we're in this refugee situation. It also sort of brings in environmental concerns in some ways, although it's sort of different because they're caused by the Martian things being done there. But yeah, that sort of future time frame is how most of these contemporary concerns and ideas are brought into it. And I think it sort of separates it out from the things that are more directly from the novel, which I think was interesting. Yes, it is interesting. It didn't perhaps go down terribly well or might have been part of the reason for the reception of this series. Yes, it's sort of an unexpected thing to do because it's almost like it's trying to be a sequel at the same time as being an adaptation with the two intercut. And if you're not expecting that, it is something that's a little bit strange to use as an approach. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we do debate often whether we like a faithful adaptation or we like them to do something new. Interestingly, I know people felt the BBC had the technology, they had the CGI, they could have done a very faithful adaptation of the book. 
that's what you know people were asking for and they perhaps felt they didn't get it in this production unfortunately interesting so i think this leads us on to talk about our own views our own thoughts about this adaptation of the war of the worlds so Eamon, what did you like about the war of the worlds well let's say let's start with the look and the sound of the production and say that it looks fantastic and it sounds great and the costumes the locations, the fact that they've made it look like a period piece. You know, I mean, obviously we can't fault the BBC on hair and makeup and costumes and things like that. They're extremely good at it. I think they put a fair bit of money into this production, Brian. Yes, I'm going to agree that the the look of it is amazing. It's a it's a beautiful production. Aesthetically, it's really very strong. You know, it does a lot of things very well in that respect. I'll also add that the cast is very good in this. Our main cast of about four people are all very strong, and they're all sort of memorable performances. And we get quite a lot of the four of them you know either together or apart because of the story uh, and they have to do quite a lot of work and I would say Eleanor Tomlinson has to do you know quite a lot of the heavy lifting uh, as in fact it turns out to be the main character she is and she has to carry a lot of the narration including the famous opening narration uh, I think she does a very good job I think she's very compelling um, as this fiercely independent sort of strong modern woman of the time and, you know, I, but they're all great. The, the four leads are all great, I think, aren't they, Brian? Yes, absolutely. The later time frame is, as you say, really all built around her. She's, you know, very clearly the lead of that and has a significant chunk of the leading action in uh, the earlier time frame as well. And yeah, so the cast, yeah, I was really pleased with them. Now, they've got some CGI, obviously. They've got, I should imagine, some of the backdrops are CGI. Certainly the capsule opening, the tripods and the Martians themselves, when we see them, are CGI creations. Uh, what did you think of it, Brian? I thought it worked very well. I thought it was good. It did what it needed to. Used sparingly, perhaps. You know, perhaps they didn't have the budget to do it as much as they wanted to. But I thought they looked great, actually. I thought the tripods looked impressive. I thought the Martians were not too bad at all. And I thought the ray that they've got, the sort of red mist, the red filter, however they've achieved it, to, you know, that the Earth is becoming a red planet as a result of the Martian invasion. I thought that worked extremely well. Yes, the later time frame looked very good. It really had the look of what they were trying to do. It had the sense that the world was turning into this red wasteland. It does indeed. And yes, it, it looks like a red wasteland and people struggling to survive in shanty towns, it seems. And the land no longer being fertile because of the red weed and the red mist. It's very interesting. Um, anything else in the positive column from yourself, Brian? Well, why don't I ask, what did you think about the inclusion of the later time frame? Which is sort of the big departure from the book, I think. More than the way they did the characters, the big departure is the future time frame. So what did you think of that? So I really liked this. I really liked that time jump. Um, I really liked the fact that the writer is perhaps even more interested in in the aftermath as to what happens after the War of the Worlds and after what happens to the Martians happens, without too many spoilers, but I'm sure everybody knows. 
I thought that was all fascinating, the idea that we have become refugees from war, that we're struggling to survive in a post-apocalyptic landscape, Amy and the child sort of roaming this area looking for answers, looking for people, trying to connect. I personally thought that was all great, but I know that some people didn't like that stuff at all. They didn't want that. They wanted the original story. They wanted the battles with the tripods. I think, you know, people wanted more tripod and more Martian probably at the start rather than the time jump. What about yourself, Brian? I am sort of of two minds about it. I thought it was was very good. It looked good and the ideas in it and the performances in it were all very well done. It did feel a little bit out of place, like they were trying to do two things at the same time that didn't quite match. It almost felt like it should have been a sequel or should have been not intercut that way. You know, maybe we should have had the War of the Worlds and then what happens afterwards. I did come to enjoy it. It is good, but it makes things somewhat awkward for the production as well and makes it a strange blend of trying to be the adaptation and trying to be something else at the same time. So, like I say, I'm sort of of two minds. I like it, but I have some issues with it at the same time. They have a slightly difficult job of showing us the flash forwards, but without revealing what happened to the four characters, or rather the three characters who we don't see in the flash forwards initially and i think they managed that reasonably well not been not revealing the fate of the others until later on in the series so i thought that worked quite well as well but i i realized that was a difficult thing and it doesn't does involve a little bit of sort of hand waving and smoke and mirrors almost literal smoke in this case yes I definitely like the later time frame. It's a question of whether it works within War of the Worlds and whether the intercutting between them works. I do think to some extent it undermines the fate of the the fate of the Martians, but that's something that is sort of understandable because the events of the original novel and the way that it ends is somewhat dated from our perspective that an advanced spacefaring civilization we'd expect them to look ahead a little better than that now yeah yes (laughs) okay so perhaps for some people and maybe yourself not quite enough of the war in the war of the worlds not quite enough of the early stages of the novel, so on. Yeah, I did feel that there was enough of that. It was just a question of if it should have had the the other things as well, which and how you know and how they were uh, how they were included. So yeah, but I can I can certainly understand that there's different ways you can look at that. It is quite a bleak series, you know. There's a lot of darkness and misery in these three episodes. There's a possible glimmer of hope towards the end, but it's quite a sort of downbeat version of the War of the Worlds. And so that might cause a problem for some viewers as well. It's not exactly a feel-good production. I think that's pretty faithful too. It was, apart from the the actual ending, it's a pretty down sequence of events throughout that novel. Yeah. It is, of course, quite cheap and easy to watch, particularly over here with the sort of £4 uh, bargain on Amazon Video or, you know, available with your BritBox subscription if you're lucky enough to have one. 
and also relatively easy to stream over there as well, Brian. So that is one advantage for it. It's quite easy to watch. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, so on the negative side, like I say, I'm partly on the negative side for that future time frame and partly positive. That was the biggest thing of that type for me. Do you have any any negative things you'd like to highlight? No, I think that's about it for me, actually. I think, you know, it is a little bit dark and bleak, and there are some issues with, as you say, the flash-forwards and the world that it depicts. Although I personally, I thought the inclusion of... Um, I keep saying it, but this sort of refugee experience, I thought that worked really well and seems remarkably uh, prescient for Europe at the moment, where, uh, you know, we are dealing again with another refugee crisis caused by Russian aggression. So it seems this series, to me, quite prescient. So no, I don't think I've got any other negatives for this series, Brian. I do think it may have been slightly long for the, the content they were doing, which is partly related to how they they did things with that second time frame being uh, being intercut. But that's a fairly minor issue. I think all in all, I do think this worked quite well and I enjoyed it. So it must be time for us to turn to our recommendations to our listeners. Would you like to start, Brian? Sure, I will start. And this is pretty much a recommendation for me. I will note that the slightly strange inclusion of the second time frame and it being War of the Worlds and what happens next sort of mixed together is a little bit different, a little bit not what I was expecting. And that is, you know, something to uh, to keep in mind. But all in all, I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a good series and it's worth watching. Okay. It's a solid recommendation from me. I thought this was great. I must admit, I was a little bit disappointed on first viewing when it came out. But actually watching it again this time, with my expectations lowered perhaps, I found it really quite interesting and enjoyable and at £4, I would recommend these three episodes. Uh, so I'm personally going to say, yeah, check them out. And if you haven't seen it, perhaps set your expectations slightly lower than the novel. This has got some other interesting things to say. And look at it in that, that regard. And then let us know. Come by the Facebook or the Twitter and let us know what you thought. Yeah, and I think with regards to expectations, it's not just a question of higher and lower. It's a question of expecting it to be something a little different and something that does nice things with the with the time period and a lot of things like that but also goes to different places with this story great stuff so in summary the war of the worlds introduces us to george and amy and a few other characters who become aware of strange things leaving the surface of mars and soon see things descending to Earth, which of course become a Martian invasion. And we see the attack of the Martian tripods and the British people and presumably people everywhere on the run in this crisis where this Martian invasion is destroying everything. And in this version, we also see a slightly later time frame where we see the fallout of what happened and how things are left and the perils of what can happen when 
people are displaced and driven out and become refugees. Great stuff. Come by the Facebook group or the Twitter and let us know what you thought. Absolutely. And please join us next time as we're in another television wonderland of sorts. We're looking at a 1973 production, again from the BBC, and it's Alice Through the Looking Glass. We're returning to the works of Lewis Carroll. Uh, So some interesting stuff to talk about how faithful adaptations can be next time as well. Yes, and that will be a little bit later than what we've been talking about this time. Indeed. Until then, you can find us at BritishInvaders.com. All of our episodes are available there. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in on some of the discussion. And you can also follow us on Twitter and discuss things with us there, too. We are at Brit Invaders Pod. And we are also at the Voice of Geeks Network, vulgarnetwork.com. Plenty of entertainment going on there, particularly for gamers. Lots of streaming and conversations about new games. Plus, you'll find British Invaders as part of the Voice of Geeks network at vognetwork.com. Absolutely. So, thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, it's Eamon from England saying, keep watching the skies. 